This is Off the Woodwork, your number one soccer source from the home for Atlanta United, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Check back each week for a breakdown of the previous week's match, exclusive interviews, and more on MLS and world soccer. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle Dates, Craig Carlos Valentino. Craig Carlos Valentino is going to sound a little bit different today. I'm Kyle Tate. Welcome into Off the Woodwork as we get you ready for Atlanta United and Seattle Sounders and also recap what happened with the U.S. men's national team this past week, picking up four points. But CCV is out, and instead we've got Jason Longshore joining us on the show today. And Jason, thanks a lot for plugging in. We plan on having you on the show a lot more down the road, but um, thanks a lot for joining us. Not a problem. Anytime. Well, uh, big week for U.S. men's national team soccer. We're going to dive into that. We're going to talk about the international play elsewhere, not just the United States, but also um, the Joseph Martinez injury is the big piece of news. And what awful, awful timing on that for the five stripes as they build very early momentum in the season and then go into this long road swing and they're without their star striker. We'll dive at length into that as well. Also get you ready for the match at Seattle, the defending MLS Cup champions. But it is off the woodwork. And uh, thanks a lot for joining us. First off, let's talk about the men's national team because Bruce Arena comes in. It's his first two games in the World Cup qualifier as the head coach. And he's really trying to change a culture of, could you even say mediocrity at this point? I mean, they, they lost their first two games in the hex and they really had their backs to the wall. They were in a tough spot. When you go through history, only one team has ever qualified from where they were after two games. Trinidad and Tobago in 2006, and they had to go through a playoff to do it. So all the talk about, oh, it's the U.S., they're going to qualify, no problem, it's not a big deal, it is a big deal. And Klinsman had to go. Bruce Arena was absolutely the right guy to come in at that point just to right the ship, just to fix it. It's not about, for Bruce Arena right now, it's not about developing talent for the future. It's not about any of that. It's about getting points, strictly getting results. And he did that this week. He did what he had to do. He wanted four points out of these two games, and he got it. Well, he comes in and... and I don't think any of us expected what happened against Honduras. Six goals, three of them from Clint Dempsey, who we weren't even sure if he was going to play out of the gate, <laughs> and he just goes off with a hat trick. Uh, the 18-year-old kid, Christian Pulisic, uh, it was a lot of fun to watch, and it was a game that you and I talked about it beforehand. We really didn't know what to expect. I said it was going to be a 2-1 win, but it was going to be a sloppy one. I went 1-0 win. I didn't expect six goals. I didn't think we had six goals in us the way we had been playing. And this is including Arena's two friendlies you know, in the January and February time period. It just didn't look like we had that explosive of an attack. But what Bruce Arena does really well is he puts players in positions to be comfortable. It's not about you know the Klinsman thing of putting players outside of their comfort zone. Arena wants them to feel as comfortable as possible. And at the national team level, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, he doesn't get a chance to develop these players. He doesn't get a chance to train with them over an extended period of time. He gets them for a week, and he's got to get the best out of them in that short period of time. So play them where they're most comfortable, and he did that against Honduras. You saw Clint Dempsey in a free role up top. He could drift. He could find space. Christian Pulisic was in that role in the midfield where he could do whatever the game dictated to him. He could do what he felt was right, and he had the cover in a Michael Bradley playing defensive midfield didn't have to worry about him. He's fine. You can let him do what he does. And it worked. And it worked. And Pulisic had a great performance. And any other night, he would have been man of the match. But Dempsey, hat trick, I mean, that's your guy. And that's something that we as American sports fans don't really take into consideration. We think that the, the term chemistry is 
nonsense. It's just a fluff word. But in soccer, that's a big part of the game. And with Atlanta United, to bring it back to domestic MLS soccer, uh, they've only had, they only had a couple of weeks together when they got into the preseason and then had to get ready for the opener a couple of weeks ago against New York Red Bulls. It's even more dramatic on the international stage when these guys don't have any time together. They come in, and especially for a young kid like Christian Pulisic, who who hasn't played a whole lot at this stage before. Granted, he's played for Dortmund, one of the top international sides. Mm -hmm. But for a kid like that to try to come in with some of the the more established veterans like a Dempsey, a Josie Altidore, uh, I mean, it's not easy to come in and, and have a week to prepare and then play these big games, especially under a new coach. That's what drove me nuts about Klinsman is it's almost like he wanted to test players' confidence when you don't have time to build it back up. You have to make players feel confident and put Pulisic in a chance where if it fails, and, and if you go back and watch these two games, you know everybody harps on every bad pass from Michael Bradley. If you go back and look at these two games, Christian Pulisic made plenty of mistakes, but he made them in areas where he could try something. He could try it, see if it comes off. If it doesn't, it's not going to kill you. You've got cover behind him. And Arena puts players in positions to do that. He makes them feel comfortable. He has been really good at getting the best out of guys. And you saw it with Dempsey. You saw it with Pulisic. That's what makes what Tata Martino has done with Atlanta United so incredibly impressive because he's only had this team together for, what, two months now, maybe two and a half months, and they play like a pretty well-oiled unit. They don't look like a brand-new team. You see Minnesota, who looks like they don't even know each other's names. You see Atlanta United, they look like they've been together for a long time. Well, uh, we've talked – a little bit about the the majesty that is, and I have kind of a man crush on him. He's an 18-year-old kid, but Christian <laughs> Pulisic is incredible to watch. He's so smooth. He's so slick. I mean, every touch. I loved what I saw. I can't remember who released it the other day, but the, the video of every single touch that he right. had in the win over Panama was remarkable just to watch the skill that this guy has. I mean, is there a, a possibility in your mind that this guy could be the best U.S. player that we've ever seen? He's the best at this stage of his development, and and that's really all you can go on right now. He's he's 18. You never know what happens. He could go to a club, which there's rumors out there about huge offers being made for Christian Pulisic, and if he goes to the wrong club now and doesn't continue the development, sits the bench, gets stuck behind somebody, it could derail his career. We've seen it with others in the past. He needs to keep playing. He needs to be in a club that makes him feel comfortable. You know, you look back at Landon Is Dortmund Don that club? Right now it is. Right now it absolutely is. And you look back at Landon Donovan. A lot of people criticized Donovan for not playing in Europe for throughout his career. And he came back to MLS. But he was at his most comfortable playing in MLS. And you got the best out of him. He improved as a player during his time in MLS. That was what worked for him. Pulisic right now is at his best being in Dortmund. And you'd hate to see him move just for money. You want to make sure he goes to the right club, the right situation that can continue this development because he's playing with such confidence. And you, know, you talked about chemistry. Confidence is another huge thing. You can see it in a player when you watch their first touch. And if a player is not confident in that first touch, they're, they're going to hurt you on the field. Pulisic feels like he's a step ahead of everybody. And he has that confidence and that swagger that, honestly, looking at it here at a player close to that age, you see it in Andrew Carlton. He has that swagger that you can't teach, and you don't want to stifle it. So I, I would hate to see Pulisic go somewhere else, 
and get into a bad position for him, a bad club for him, a bad fit, because it would hurt the national team over time. If he continues his path, he will be the best American player of all time. You know, we tend to not think about all the the external factors outside of playing soccer because when I when I'm playing FIFA and I make a transfer for a player, we're not thinking about the language barriers of a guy from Venezuela playing over in England. You know, you're not thinking about that. That doesn't right. even come into your 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 mind. But in real life, those are factors. A guy goes to a country he's not familiar with. For for Pulisic playing in Dortmund, there's a language barrier there. There's a culture barrier there, and the life outside of the 90 minutes that you're on the pitch every week is a big part that we don't really take into consideration, and it can be difficult. That can stunt your growth as well on the soccer field. Yeah, absolutely. It's why you see Central and South American players adapt better to MLS than Scandinavian and European players. It's just an easier cultural shift. So, you know, for guys like Joseph Martinez, for Miguel Almiron, for Tito Vichalba, they can come to Atlanta and fit in easier. It's not as foreign of a culture for them. And having Tata Martino and his coaching staff and, and a heavy Latin influence helps. But you want to make sure that players are in the right fit. You, know, you go back to Donovan when he was at Leverkusen and then again later at Bayern Munich. It wasn't the right fit for him. He wasn't comfortable. He, you know, I, I think he was depressed. He talked about this at different times in his career. And he didn't play well. And for a soccer player, so much of it is how you feel, and you want to feel good about where you are. Christian Pulisic needs to be in a a position where he feels comfortable to get the best out of him. Well, uh, I was listening to another podcast. Grant Wall does a fine job with Planet Football from Sports Illustrated. And Tim Howard joined him uh, today, and we're recording this on Wednesday, um, so two days before Atlanta and Seattle. But he was asked about the 18-year-old kid, Christian Pulisic, and here's what he had to say. You know, I don't really think we've had a, you know, a world-dominant star, you know, and that's not to say that he, he is or he isn't. It's, I think we should, I think he's certainly ready. His feet are firmly on the ground, you know. He's a humble kid. Um, he clearly enjoys his football. He enjoys the bright lights, you know. I've always said at that age I, I didn't. I was nervous and fearful, and I didn't have the, I didn't have the skills or the talent to play on, on that stage that early, you know, but, um, you know, it's, it's something of a prodigy when it comes to Christian because he's just, he, he harnesses that energy and he embraces it and he seems to flourish. I mean, I think that's the key point, you know, mm-hmm. everyone can just get thrown in there and see what happens. But he flourishes in these moments, not only for us, but for Dortmund and he's playing the Champions League. And so, uh, it's exciting. It's exciting for us. We've had a lot of good young talent over the years. Some have, um, sustained that. You know, Landon Donovan is a classic case of someone who was very young, who had a lot mm-hmm. thrown at him, and um, not only passed with flying colors, but is arguably the best U.S. soccer player in history. Um, and then there are others who have fallen by the wayside. So, um, and there's too many to name. You know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be fearful of that. He seems like he can handle it. He seems like he's ready for it. You know, by no means is he, uh, you know, glory hungry or money or, or, or media hungry. Yeah. But he certainly doesn't phase him. One of the names that they threw out, you can go back to the early 2000s with Freddie Adu, and um, that was the first name that comes into everybody's mind. He's supposed to be the next big international soccer sensation, and he just never panned out. Pulisic is a lot farther along at 18 years old, though, than Freddie Adu ever was. You know, it's hard to say, because when you go back and you look at Freddie Adu at 16, 17, he was really impressive. And then even... Go back and watch the Gold Cup in 2011 when he came back into the national team, kind of out of nowhere. Bob Bradley brought him back. 
he had a huge influence on that team. And that was the last time you really saw Freddie Adu at that type of level. You know, I've seen him in the North American Soccer League when he was with Tampa Bay. You'd see flashes. And Freddie Adu is the classic example of somebody who went to the wrong club. Josie Altador had a little bit of this in his career, too. He went to Europe too young, didn't go to the right situation. I think when Freddie went to, I'm trying to remember which club it was, he went to one club and went through like three or four different managers in a season. And that's the worst thing for a young player because you never get settled. And Freddie just kept getting bounced around. I think he had bad representation. I think he had bad advice throughout his career. And he never went to a situation where he should just play. You know, talent has to be... Talent has to be harnessed through playing. Training yeah. is great. Training under great coaches is, is wonderful, but it doesn't mean anything if you're not playing games. Yeah. Well, uh, we've pretty well hit on the U.S. men's national team, but I do want to ask the difference in your mind between the 6-0 win over Honduras and a 1-1 draw with Panama. Was that surprising to you, the result with the confidence I mean, boiling over the way that it was a couple days nah, later on the road? Not at all. It's because it's on the road. Yeah. CONCACAF traveling is brutal. Getting results on the road is brutal. And CONCACAF is better than it's ever been. Panama was so up for this game. We knocked them out of the World Cup four years ago. Uh, the Graham Zusi goal late when we had already qualified, knocked them out, put Mexico into the playoff, and then Mexico had a great World Cup. Panama's never been to a World Cup. That was the closest they ever were to that. So they were looking for revenge. They're a, a massively improving squad at the world level. And this was a huge game for them. You know, the right now the Hex is a dogfight. You look past Mexico and Costa Rica, who both are pretty comfortable. The next four teams are, you know, it, it's a toss-up. It could be any of them. Honduras has been to the last two World Cups. Uh, Panama's been so close but haven't gotten there. Trinidad looks much better now under a new manager. It could go any which way. And and Trinidad was a dumpster fire there for a little while. Beyond and, dumpster yeah. fire, whatever that is. They were beyond it. <laughs> and now you know, they, they got three points. They played pretty well against Mexico. They made Mexico look kind of ordinary at times, which isn't easy to do. It's just it's traveling in CONCACAF. It's brutal, and we'll see it more you know, down the line when Atlanta United starts to play in CONCACAF Champions League. You'll see these games out of Atlanta United where it's long travel. You get there. Supposedly there was you know essentially a fireworks show outside of the hotel the night before the U.S.-Panama game. Not much sleep. You know, it's a tough field to play on. Intense environment. It's just it's so difficult. You can't really compare it to, to other sports here. I don't think there is a comparison for it. I'm Kyle Tate. He's Jason Longshore. If you don't know, Jason hosts, and I don't know how you don't know if you've followed soccer at all in Atlanta, but Soccer Down Here, a Monday through Friday daily podcast. They do an amazing job with that. Um, 10 to 11 every day, right? 10 to 11. And if you can't listen live through Blog Talk Radio, you can also catch it through iTunes and all the typical subscription services. But um, Longshore is also the color commentator for Atlanta United. This is Off the Woodwork from 92.9 The Game. You can follow myself on Twitter at Tate. He is at Longshoe, and you can also follow the show at Off the W929. Well, let's transition from that into other international play, specifically how it relates to Atlanta United. They had four players called into international duty. Carlos Carmona hasn't seen a whole lot of time for his side, but um, Kenwin Jones up top for Trinidad. Uh, you've also had Miguel Almiron playing a lot for Paraguay. But the one name that sticks out 
is the fear that every domestic coach has when they send a guy to international duty. Yep. Joseph Martinez hurt in the taken off in the 59th minute of the first game for Venezuela. What timing and and what tragedy now in the same week that they just permanently acquired him from Torino. I mean, what an Atlanta thing to happen. I was about to say it. It is classic ATL sports when it comes down to it. But I mean, it's the game. It's what happens. And representing your national team Again, this is kind of unique to soccer. You, you get it around the Olympics and basketball and hockey where you represent your country, and it's, it's a big deal, but you also see top players in the NBA like you know, passing on it all the time. You don't do that in soccer. International soccer, the World Cup, is, is everything. So it's just something you live with at the club level, and it's a risky run every time. You can't predict it. It just happens sometimes, and that's why you build a full squad. That's why you go from 1 to 28 instead of just looking at a starting lineup and then throwing whoever. Atlanta has players who can replace Joseph Martinez. It's going to be a question of how they want to do it. But he's going to be out four to six weeks. That's not the end of the world. They, they'll be okay. At least it's not a season-ending in- injury or right. anything like that. I mean, it's not the 10 days that you had hoped for right after that match that they said in the post-game yeah, presser. Fo- following the Venezuelan press and everything that night was uh, quite the experience. Um I'm getting much better at translating Spanish. <laughs> Let's put it that way from all this. But the coach said walking off the field, he thought it might be 10 days. I don't think he expected it to be quite as severe. I mean, Martinez walked off the field. It didn't yeah. look that bad. Yeah, and the other day at training, I saw him walk out. Um, and obviously, he wasn't doing a whole lot at training. He just was there. But he had a noticeable limp, and it's going to take a little while for this um, quad injury officially, a left quad, to uh, heal and for him to get back out on the pitch. It's really a catch-22. I had a great talk at training with uh, with Chris Winkler, who's in media relations, and he's worked with a couple of MLS sides. And he talked about the catch-22 that managers are in because, and, and team presidents and technical directors and everybody in a front office, yep. because players, obviously, it's the highest honor for them to play for their national teams. It's It brings such prestige and such recognition. I mean, look at Tim Howard. Tim Howard, a couple of years ago, before he had that dominant World Cup performance, yeah, he was an American keeper that soccer fans knew about, but now he's a national superstar even for non-soccer fans because of what he was able to do. I mean, that same thing with Landon Donovan, a guy who was relatively obscure but then had that amazing goal in, in 2010. Playing for your national side brings a prestige with it that playing for a club team doesn't bring. But as a, a manager or technical director or whoever, there's a catch-22 there because you want those guys to get that, but you also have an investment with these players and you don't want them getting hurt. You don't want them going out and having what happened with Jason, uh, Joseph Martinez uh, or something worse, and then they come back and they're they're broken goods. Yeah, you don't want to risk it unnecessarily, and that's where friendlies get into a whole different conversation. Letting guys go for friendlies, for exhibition games, that's not something you're comfortable with at right. a club level. But for a World Cup qualifier, you grit your teeth and you cross your fingers and you hope that it works out. In this case, it didn't. But looking big picture for Atlanta United, this is a big part of raising the profile of the club, is having players like Martinez do well with their national teams. Al Marone was one of the best players on the field in his first game with Paraguay over this past week. Which is something I think we'll get used to saying quite a bit, one of the best players on the field. I mean, that's that's part of it, but that's going to attract more players. And that's the biggest step for the club is Miguel Almiron was mentioned with Atlanta United all over South American media because of the way he played, and that's huge. That is why you're getting players like a Carmona 
like a Martinez, like a Leandro Gonzalez Perez, who's not at the national team level yet, but he came here to play with Tata Martino and to play with an Almiron. That's why it's important to have players go out and do well for their national teams. You just have to hope they don't come back injured. Well, when I talked to Tata Martino at training on Tuesday, here's what he had to say. He said it's kind of a wait-and-see approach right now. He wanted to see the rest of these international games before he made a decision on where Atlanta United goes from here in replacing Martinez up top. We're going to train today and tomorrow, and we'll be looking to, to solve who's going to fill in for Joseph. We also have to see the, the national team games going on and see how much Kenwin, Miguel, and, and Carmona might play and then we'll, we'll decide on who will play instead of Joseph. That being said, we'll also get into a couple of these options on who Atlanta United could go to, but Martino sounded pretty confident uh, that there are players on this team who can slide into the top role. It's just a, a wait and see. I mean, Kenwin Jones would obviously be your number one choice, but he was captaining TNT uh, for their international game. So um, but, but he sounded pretty confident that there are players who can step into that role. Being in soccer for so many years, you kind of get used to injuries. They're just a part of the game. So for us, at first, it's unfortunate. But at the same time, we have to keep thinking about our team and that we have players who are, are capable of, of substituting Joseph. Obviously, all of this through an interpreter. And he also mentioned that there's a, a possibility of maybe sliding a false nine up there. Who wouldn't worry? Uh, we know he's our goal scorer. And... At first, it's it's unfortunate. It, we, we have to think about it, but um, we also know we just have to keep thinking about ourselves and, and how to replace him. Playing with the false nine is also a possibility. We know we have some guys who have different skill sets than Joseph or Kenwin, so th that's another possibility. So, Jason Longshore, I send the question your way. Who can fill in for Joseph Martinez? I mean, you're obviously not going to get five goals in two games out of anybody on the bench, you think. But there are people who, I mean, Atlanta United has some depth here. They, they seem to have a lot more depth than the team they're about to play, Seattle. Yeah, the forward role is, is pretty unique with Atlanta United because it starts the defense as well as it's your goal scorer. So without Martinez, you have to look at both sides of that. Kenwin Jones doesn't give you as much defensively as some other options might. Yamil Assad's played up top in the preseason. He can do it, but he's not quite as dynamic as Joseph Martinez, and he's not as big, so he's not going to provide the hold-up play that a Kenwin Jones would. Tito Vishalba hasn't done it for Atlanta United, but he did it at San Lorenzo where he played as a second forward. So basically, go back to those first two. Kenwin yeah. Jones is big but not as fast, doesn't right. have the same skill set. He's going to win some more headers in the box. You might look maybe to cross it a little bit more rather than playing direct and trying to find those through balls through the middle. Uh, with Yamil Assad, he's not as big, but he's faster. So the through balls are on yeah. with Yamil Assad or Vishalba. You have the through balls on, and that's been how Martinez has scored his goals. It hasn't been from crosses, so right. I kind of like that idea a little bit more right now. In my mind, I think Assad or Vishalba, or the wild card is Julian Gressel, who played as a forward in college and has shown the ability to make those runs. He would, I think he might give you the most continuity in that role because you'd just be moving him up to the forward line as opposed to the attacking midfield line. It might be a little bit easier fit that way. That's the biggest thing for Tata Martino to figure out is which move affects the chemistry the least because this team has been effective in their defensive pressing because of that chemistry. And you don't want to wreck it by putting somebody in there who either doesn't get it or doesn't allow you to press the same way. 
Well, Julian Gressel is a factor that, that we should touch on a little bit because we've seen him only as a holding midfielder so far and has done a great job of that. I mean, we think he's the early front runner for MLS Rookie of the Year, frankly, because he's really the only rookie around MLS that's done anything so yeah. far through three matches. But um, the fact that he has that versatility because he, of what he did at Providence, I mean, this is a guy who could maybe be a, a sleeper to, to move into that top role. He could. I mean, he played up there. He's a he's a bigger guy, too, which right. is one thing you like. He would give you a little bit of a hold-up option. You could play direct to him, and he could hold players off. Seattle has two big center backs in Chad Marshall and Roman Torres. If Torres plays, he played with Panama and looked a little injured at the end of that game, so he might not play. It's a big question for Seattle what they do. I don't know. Um, it's really all about which option just disrupts the team the least. And I'm not sure who that is between Assad, Vishalva, or Gressel. I don't think Kenwin's going to start because of how many minutes he played with Trinidad and Tobago. Right. And at his age and traveling 15 to 20 hours to get to Seattle, it's going to be tough on him. I think he'll be available as an option off the bench, but I don't know if he's going to be able to start. Now, Doug Robertson of the AJC was thinking outside of the box this week. He said uh, Chris McCann up top. Was that right? Yes. Uh, I, uh, Doug, Doug's great, but I don't see that one happening. Thanks. I'll um, hang up and listen. <laughs> yeah, just because I don't think McCann's ever played up there. Yeah. And where I see it working best is however you shift it, McCann coming into one of the midfield roles. That's where I think this works because we've seen McCann play a little bit more each week. And I think he gets the pressing style. I think he gives you the ability to play with the ball at his feet. And I think his work rate would be a really good fit in Seattle against two central midfielders in Osvaldo Alonso and Christian Roldan, who work extremely hard. So you're going to have to have somebody who can match them. McCann would be a perfect fit in that role. I'd just rather see somebody else up top who's a little more dynamic. Well, you on Twitter before the show have been leaning a lot toward Yamil Assad sliding into the the top role is he your favorite right now between him and Gressel he's the most likely I think because he played up there in preseason and just from from hearing some of the things Martino has said that would be my guess is Assad gets the nod up there that gives you the option of going with Jacob Peterson in Assad's role on the left wing or potentially Andrew Carlton we'll see which one gets it but then your midfield stays pretty similar Gressel can play Almiron's role if he's not ready to go McCann can slide in and play Gressel's role. Vishalba stays the same on the right. It keeps the continuity a little bit more. I like the idea of one of the three between Assad, Gressel, or Vishalba playing up top because they get how this press works, and they've been involved in it, and I think they can translate that to the forward role really well. The biggest thing is you don't want a complete upheaval of what you've been trying to teach and instill for the first three weeks of the season. Right. You don't want to send a brand-new lineup and have – have um, you know one guy change and that create a waterfall domino effect for the other nine. Exactly, because this press, which has been the most effective thing for Atlanta United, pressing teams, causing turnovers in their own half, I don't know if it works as well with Jones or Brandon Vasquez or Brian Rochez, who just joined the team. I don't think if any, any of them really fit that system yet. And I'd rather see the press continue and move somebody else into that role and I think they'll figure out how to make the attacking part of it work. I don't want to see the press you know, get messed up. Let me ask you this. Since you're leaning toward Yamil Assad, we've talked a lot through the preseason and early season about Tito Vialba and his speed. What isn't there for you with Vialba to say that he would be the favorite to move up front? What is he missing to maybe slide into that role? 
I think right now it's just the experience in playing it. Um, looking back at his career at San Lorenzo, when he played up top, and when he first came up with San Lorenzo, he played as a second forward. So they played two up top. He played off of somebody. Right. I couldn't really find a lot of examples where he played as the forward. So that's tough. If you haven't played it, and especially in that role where you talk false nine, it's more of a false nine with an Assad or a Vishalba because they're not going to be up there with their back to goal as a big guy looking to win the ball and hold it. So if you haven't played it, it's tough to just jump into it. I think Assad might have the edge there. And that's why I think Gressel is, should be under consideration because he played it last year and he's got the size to do some of that hold-up play. It gives you a little more options up top. Okay, so we've we've talked enough about what the Atlanta United solution is up top, but let's first get into, before we, we transition into anything else, your 11 for Atlanta United this week against Seattle. And obviously we know the back. We know Alec Can is going to be in goal. We know the back four are going to be pretty well the same, but starting with the two holding midfielders and working our way up. So let me put this in the terms of what I think is most likely to happen yeah. because I would probably take a chance on Gressel up top if it's just me. But the most likely option is Assad up top. So then you start to work the dominoes out to see where that falls. So Assad up top means you need a new left wing. That's probably Jacob Peterson. Then the question is Miguel Almiron, and is he ready to go? Is he ready to give you 90 minutes? I'm not comfortable playing a guy who I don't know if they can finish the game. I would rather that player come off the bench. Almiron only played 45 minutes in Sao Paulo last night against Brazil. My, my hunch is that he'll be available and that he'll play. So it's Almiron, it's Gressel, it's Vishalba. But you don't think that Kenwin Jones will be available? I don't. I think at his age, and I think the amount of minutes he played, I don't think he'll be available. So, and honestly, I think Assad or Gressel and maybe even Vishalba might fit the team better up top in a starting role and allow you to not disrupt that style. So Assad up top, Almiron back in his normal spot with Gressel, the holding midfield role, the defensive midfield role, the question is on Carmona. He didn't play very much, but he's got to travel. I think he's going to be ready to go. If he's not, it's probably Jeff Lorenowitz. Uh, by the way, while we were recording this podcast, a little piece of breaking news came down from Atlanta United. They released a video, and I don't know that they intended for the news to get out there because <laughs> they've been a little bit shy about putting it out there that Andrew Carlton is making the trip to Seattle. Um, I don't know at this point that... Uh, the head knew that the hand, what the hands were doing, um, but they put it out there on their Twitter, a video, a 30-second just slow-motion video, which, by the way, their cinematography is second to none in MLS. Oh, yeah, for they sure. They do an amazing job. But in this video, it clearly shows Frosted Orange uh, getting on the plane, and everybody was freaking out uh, while we record this podcast. Yeah, there was a massive freak out about Andrew Carlton making this trip. Yeah. It's, it's a big moment for him. I mean, this is his first road trip in MLS. It's still not a given he makes it into the 18. Typically, they will travel with a couple extra players just in case somebody gets hurt. You know, this is this is an interesting one, too, because you have the guys joining them from international duty. Yeah. So you don't know exactly how fit Almiron and Carmona and Jones are going to come back to you with. They and might you won't show. find out till they get there. You won't, you won't know till they get there. You won't know till you do a walkthrough. It'll probably be a very light training session on Thursday in Seattle. So then you'll get a sense of, okay, how much time can Jones or Almiron or Carmona give me? 
Carlton might be there as an insurance policy, just in case one of those guys isn't available. He might have played his way into the 18. We don't know yet. To my understanding, they typically travel with 19. They've got your 18 and then one sort of insurance policy just in case. Right. And we don't know if he's played his way into minutes or what at this point. They did that in Minnesota. They took 19. We didn't know who the the last guy on the bench was going to be until the game day roster was, was named. That could be the case here. It's just it's a different situation with the international window and, and guys coming back, and you have more questions maybe than usual about who might be available. Well, uh, one thing I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, the back line stayed together. Um, of course, we wanted Greg Garza to get called up to the U.S. men's national team. He didn't. Um, what do you think about that, by the way? I was surprised he didn't get called up. I thought he had played his way into it, yeah. but – Looking at it in hindsight, Jorge Villafania played really well, and I think he's he's staked a claim to being the left back moving forward. Makes it tougher for Garza. I think Garza will be in the picture in the Gold Cup, and that'll be a huge opportunity for him to shine. But he's played well. Um, positioning is, is still a little bit of a question. He can get caught out, and he has a different role at, with Atlanta United than he would with the national team, so how does it translate? He's played well, though, but... Man, Viafania was really good with the national team in these two games. Agreed. So with with uh, Garza staying, that meant that the back four they were able to stay together over the international break and use the um, the the training and that week and a half really to prepare, build chemistry. And Tyrone Mears talked about this during training, as did uh, Leandro Gonzalez Perez. Um, here's what Mears had to say about building things up and being able to stay together over that break rather than breaking up and going off to international duty. It's massive, certainly in this league. I think if you have a, a solid bat line, you know, anything's possible. You know, um, I think we proved that last season at Seattle. Um, so, yeah, it's important. Um, you know, we've, we've only conceded a couple of goals, so uh, that's important. Clean sheet last game. Um, but like you say, players missing. Uh, we've got players that can equally come in and do a good job. And he mentioned uh, Seattle last year. He's going to give us a little bit of insight as well into scouting the Sounders and getting prepared for Friday night. But first, here's what Gonzalez Perez had to say about the chemistry on the back line. It was really helpful because we were able to prepare together uh, looking at Seattle's front line and kind of what, what we should expect from them, but also just in terms of ourselves on how to play out of the back and how to do all the things that, that we're trying to implement. Uh, it was good to have us all here um, together. So back four sticking together, I mean, it's it's got to be huge, especially preparing for the unknown with Seattle. You figure that Clint Dempsey isn't going to be there because of the significant minutes that he played for uh, USA. But, um, I mean, this is a, a pretty solid Seattle attack, and keeping those four guys together and allowing them to prepare for the Sounders together has to be huge over the break. Just any time you can have a unit stay together over the break. And the back four, and then also Yamil Assad on the left and Tito Vishalba on the right, you get continuity in those spots. And when you look at building a team, you know I always think of, of a coach that, that I worked with a lot in the, the local amateur scene, and he, he coached with the Silverbacks and Silverbacks Reserves. And he always talked about little societies on the field. I, I love the way he put that you need players who are comfortable with one another and have chemistry with one another. And a lot of times you want that as your two center backs, you want that with your center backs and your outside backs, and you want it with your, your right back and your right mid, your left back and your left mid. And you were able to keep that group together in this break. And for a brand new team, really still trying to come together and figure these things out, that's huge. And you just, you, you can't put a value on it. 
He is Jason Longshore. I'm Kyle Tate. This is Off the Woodwork from 92.9 The Game. And let's transition into the Seattle Sounders, the reigning MLS Cup champions. We saw them in preseason, a game that Atlanta United won 4-2, but that wasn't the real Seattle Sounders team. That wasn't the team that beat Toronto FC in the MLS no. Cup Finals. They had a lot of substitutes on there as starters. You were there at the game. You saw it. Uh, it's going to be a different matchup in Seattle this Friday. That was a weird game because Atlanta started their first choice group. Seattle started their probably second and third choice group, and Atlanta jumped on them quick. Then in the second half, Seattle finished with their first choice group, and Atlanta finished with their second choice group. And things got really intense at the end of that game. I wonder if there's going to be any carryover from that. You had a lot of confrontations in that game. You had a lot of people. It was chippy. Very chippy. Even the coaches seem to be having a quite an animated conversation afterwards. So I wonder if that carries over to this. There could be a little bit more intensity than you might think between Atlanta and Seattle in their first official match. The biggest thing about Seattle is they're they're going to be having some key guys come back from this international break, and they don't have the depth Atlanta has in those roles. Up top, I feel like they can be okay. Will Bruin replacing Jordan Morris potentially is fine. It's a different look. He's more of a target forward than, than Morris, who's so unconventional and so unpredictable. But Bruin is a, an established goal scorer in this league. He'll be fine. He'll be a handful for Parkhurst and Gonzalez Perez. Clint Dempsey is the talisman for Seattle. And he's not 100% right now, period. And after playing two games of the national team. For those who don't know, still coming back from, from heart issues last year. Yeah, I mean, he... The, the thing about Dempsey, you got to remember this. Bruce Arena said very clearly in the January-February camp that he was not counting on Clint Dempsey for these games. Dempsey played so well at the beginning of the MLS season that he played his way into it. I don't think Bruce expected him to play as much as he did with the national team. But well, we weren't even sure that he was going to start that first game, yeah. and he comes out and has a hat trick. Yep, hat trick then, goal, goal last night against Panama. He's playing really well, but... Playing that many minutes in that short of a period of time, then traveling, is going to be a lot to ask for him. I don't think he starts, but I don't know how Seattle truly replaces him. That's the biggest question, is Dempsey's not a player you can easily replace because he's not, and especially with the way Seattle plays, he doesn't really play a specific position. He's kind of a second forward, kind of an attacking midfielder, but that's not an easy role for anybody just to slip into. It makes your whole team work differently. Beyond Dempsey, you have Roman Torres, who looked injured at the end of the Panama game, center back. You're going to have to shuffle there. Jovan Jones played a lot of minutes for Trinidad and Tobago. He's the other key player for Seattle, in my opinion, their game changer. I don't know if he's going to be able to give you 90. So that's two, two members of your back line for Seattle. Jones plays on the left. Torres plays in the middle with Chad Marshall. You're going to have a lot of mixing and matching. And I don't know how Seattle's going to overcome it because they're already a little thin coming in. It's a huge challenge for them, and I don't know how they change it up to make it work. Well, um, with both of these teams, there are obviously large question marks. Atlanta United trying to figure out what they do about the Joseph Martinez injury, and that's more of a a long-term issue that they're going to have to deal with for the next four to six weeks. On the other hand, Seattle trying to figure out how to fill Clint Dempsey's role if he can't play. Uh, Tyrone Mears, I I think that um, Atlanta United has a little bit of an inside track because he was a part of that championship team. He obviously knows um, what they are trying to do in Seattle quite well, and and here's what he had to say on playing his former team. Yeah, it'll be strange, obviously. Um, I spent two good seasons there. 
Um, you know, and uh, last season was very successful for us. So, yeah, it's going to be strange, but nice in a way to, to see, you know, the old faces and, and people behind the scenes. But, you know, um, really concentrated on uh, getting a good result. I also asked Mears whether his experience with the Sounders gives Atlanta United maybe a little bit of an inside track, a little bit of an advantage. And um, he said, not really. It's just that the Sounders prepare so well from opponent to opponent. Every game, they're well prepared. Um, obviously, I know the plays very well, but, you know, you know they're well prepared. The, the games they watch, everything, you know, the, the work we've been doing in the international break, um, a lot of it has been focused on Seattle. So we'll be ready for them. Um, and then it's obviously about us carrying out the plan that, um, you know, Tata sets out. So Jason Longshore, a lot of this is, is guesswork, who's in the 11, but how do the styles of play at least, what Atlanta and what Seattle are trying to do, how do they clash on the pitch in the Pacific Northwest? The opportunity for Atlanta United is going to be down the wings. Seattle plays very narrow, kind of similar to New York Red Bulls in the way that they play. It's a different formation, but it's very narrow. Fishalba and Assad, if he's on the left or whoever's on the left, is going to have an opportunity in space to make things happen. The other thing about Seattle is you can press them in the back, um, especially if Roman Torres plays. Roman Torres is a great physical specimen at center back. He's not great with the ball at his feet. He, he will turn it over. And you can press him and cause turnovers and create opportunities. Seattle is a team that is kind of tough to get a read on from a tactical perspective because so much of it is just brilliant individual plays as opposed to building up an attack over a long, sustained period of time. So it's containing the individual talents like Nicholas Ladero, like Harry Ship, who's another one to watch for. I think he's a great fit for Seattle this year, a very creative player. Clint Dempsey, if he plays. Jovan Jones, if he plays. Christian Roldan is another key for Seattle. He covers so much ground, and he's so dynamic. He can hurt you defensively because he's such a good defensive player. He can even drop into the back line when, when needed. But he can also hurt you going forward. He's a very good dribbler. So you don't want to allow him to break your first line of defense. You don't want to allow Roldan to beat your central midfielders in Gressel and Almiron, if that's the two, and then be able to create. You've got to stop Seattle in their own half as much as possible. I think this is the hardest game to try to predict a final score simply because you don't know who's going to play and who's not. Um, and, and we've talked about this before, both on soccer down here and through our Facebook Live pre- and post-game shows and everything else through 92.9 The Game. Atlanta hasn't had a true game yet. I mean, you've had some bizarre happenings like the, the red card in the 12th minute for Johan Kapelhoff uh, against Chicago Fire. And, I mean, all these strange things have happened where you can't really say, okay, that was against a true MLS side, that was against a kind of middle-of-the-road type team, and it doesn't really seem like this is going to be it either against Seattle because you don't know who's there for the five stripes and you don't know who's there for the Sounders. It's tough, but what I do like is that the team is, has battled through these different things. You know, first game, you, you threw away some points late that, you know, you hope that doesn't come back to hurt you. You go into Minnesota in crazy conditions that most of these players had never <laughs> seen before, and you rise to it. You handle the game against Chicago and – you know, it, yeah, it helps having a man advantage for almost 80 minutes. But you also had to break down a Chicago team that decided to pack it in and didn't want the ball. I mean, <laughs> I, I haven't seen a team make that choice to that degree 
ever. I mean, when the Opta stats are telling you that this has never happened before in the history of Opta stats and possession and passes. 82% possession and yeah. something like 93% passing. Something like that, like 93% Crazy. passing accuracy. When your center back, Leandro Gonzalez-Perez, completes more passes than the whole Chicago Fire team, <laughs> it's a weird game. Even, even with a man advantage, that's still weird. So they had to break through that, and they eventually did. It took some time, but they did it. This is going to be a tough one because you're you're looking to your depth. You're going to be looking at somebody because I don't expect Kenwin, Miguel, and Carlos all three to play. I think Carlos is probably the most likely, then Miguel, then Kenwin. So you're looking at your depth. You're looking at potentially you know a change in the forward because you don't have Joseph, you don't have Kenwin potentially. So if it's Yamil, if it's somebody else up top then you have another change to counteract that. So somebody's got to step up. And that's where, you know, a new team, you have to find the guys you can rely on. And Andrew Carlton is there. He could be that guy. Jacob Peterson could be that guy. Uh, Chris McCann could be that guy. We don't know who it is yet, though. Well, we'll find out on Friday. Um, predicting a scoreline, though, if you can, give us your best <laughs> Put your blindfold on and throw wow. a dart at a dartboard and wow. see if you can get a score. So if, if both teams were at full strength, I, I think it's a game that could be a draw yeah. because I think they could cancel each other out in some ways where Atlanta could take some advantages on the wing. Seattle has such great individual talent. They could beat you just with that. And they did against New York, a team that does like to press like Atlanta. So you know, if they eventually just wore New York down and, and beat them with sheer individual talent. In this situation, I would probably pick a draw just to play it safe. I think there's going to be some goals in it because both teams, you know, Atlanta likes to to really take chances out of the back. I think Seattle could be missing some players in the back. So I'm thinking 2-2 draw here. Uh, If somebody steps up for Atlanta that you might not expect, I think it could be a Tito Vishalba really starting to break through and keep developing that rhythm. Having two weeks here with this team will help him a lot. Yeah. I think Jacob Peterson could be the other guy. He's a veteran. He knows this league well. He knows Seattle well. And he could really show why he was brought into Atlanta United. I agree with you. In fact, I was going to say a 2-2 draw. So um, I, I think that both teams, I think we've, we've got a, a quorum here, but um, both teams are trying to find their way with big pieces likely missing. And so what comes out of that is a little bit of slop. It's two teams trying to find their identity like it's opening day all over again. And um, I, I think that, uh, like you said, I, I hope that Atlanta United, I, I'm going to say that, that the five stripes have the slight edge, I but I think the most likely result is a draw. If a team is going to win it one way or another, I think Atlanta has the better shot at that. Um, and that's simply because, like you said, Seattle is missing some key pieces on the back line and the counterattack could end up being a big piece of this. And that's what Atlanta does so well. Yeah, I think straight up they're pretty even, but looking at who they might be missing, I would give a slight advantage to Atlanta. But it's just so unknown how they play without Joseph Martinez, and that's what we're waiting to see. Well, Jason Longshore, thanks a lot for joining us here on Off the Woodwork, and and this is going to be a pretty regular thing. We are going to be joining us quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, By the way, for those who haven't heard the schedule update, we are trying to release multiple podcasts a week. So it'll be myself and Craig Carlos Valentino talking about what happened over the weekend. 
Um, that'll come out Monday-ish, Tuesday. When It just depends on when the match is. Um, and then when a new match is coming up, then myself and Jason and maybe CCV as well. We've got plenty of microphones in here. So um, <laughs> CCV could join us and, and the three of us can preview what's coming up that weekend. So this will be a regular thing. Uh, again, subscribe to us through um, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play. Uh, you can listen on 92.9thegame.com as well. Uh, but take a listen. Join us uh, every week off the woodwork from 92.9 The Game. This is a really good thing we've got going, Jason. It's cool. It's cool. It's just it's fun to talk soccer with all this stuff, and there's so much happening. It's exciting to be part of it. All right. Follow him on Twitter at Longshoe. Follow myself at Here Kyle Tate. And again, the show's account at Off the W 929. Thanks for joining us. Go Five Stripes.